3: Welcome to the Tuesday show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And if you tuned in, you probably already know that. But we're grateful that you tuned in and hope you're preparing questions and getting ready to call. Uh, This is a program dedicated to that very thing. Taking your phone calls and answering Bible questions or life questions. According to what the word says, Uh, we'll do the best that we can. You need only to call us. Uh, you can dial two one zero three four zero ninety five eighty five. That's three four zero ninety five eighty five. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll free at eight seven seven six three zero KSLR. Numerically, that's six three zero five seven five seven. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa dot com, or you can send your question in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Get the call now banner, and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, normally, uh, when I come here on Tuesday, I've already seen the uh, Sweet Summer Devotion from last night, so I'm able to talk about it a little bit, but I had a doctor's appointment today and lots of stuff to do. So I haven't yet seen it, but Paula told me it was really, really great. I'll be watching it tomorrow uh i can based on paula's recommendation tell you go to calvary dot com and watch elizabeth um and the um uh, the of devotion she gave last night um so timely um a blessing to everybody who heard it once again paula said the q and a was is spectacular so uh go to calvaryessay.com dot com and watch it and be blessed let me get right to questions because on Tuesday, we don't have anything else that we've got to do. Uh, here is a question from... I've got to find it. Our email inbox, this one is from Joanna. She says, Hi, Pastor. My brother is a pastor, and for around five years, all he is preaching uh, is Matthew 5, 6, and 7, because he says that that is the only message that matters, and more important in the Bible then all of the rest, the rest is not really needed. Uh, he practically turns down any other message and sees it as a waste of time. I think he's wrong. What do you think? Joanna, um, I don't know how long you've been listening to the program, but uh, you know what I think. I think your brother uh, is um, he has a really, really faulty understanding of the word. I, I don't want to talk badly about your brother, but as a pastor, he is uh, depriving his people of um, the rich treasury of wealth that we have in our Bibles. Let me also say that that uh, he's also depriving himself of the intimacy, intimacy that's produced when somebody really digs in and understands the word. And see, there's just a, a flawed understanding from the very beginning, Joanna, because uh, every word in the Bible... Is just as valuable and as important as any other word. They were all written by the Holy Spirit. He pushed the pens of men. So the human authors, we understand their role. Sometimes it's harder to understand the role of the Holy Spirit. But Paul says all scripture is God breathed, which is literally God the Holy Spirit pushing the pens of men. And so everything that we have carries equal weight. Now, it's true that sometimes, Joanna, Jesus especially, repeats himself. He repeats himself often. There are times when he will say in the King James, Verily, verily, I say unto you. uh, Some translations say, Truly, truly. The idea there is he's calling attention to it. This is important. And, And there is a hermeneutic principle that says repetition matters a great deal. But the idea that something appears in the Bible makes it the very word of Almighty God. The other thing I can tell you that your brother misunderstands is the value, the context, and the value of the Sermon on the Mount. It's a very, very Jewish message. Uh, to, to, I'm guessing this is probably a pretty legalistic church, but he is dead wrong. You're right. So, Joanna, you keep reading, digging in, and discovering the treasure that we have in the rest of our Bible. Thank you for the question, Joanna. Appreciate you tuning into the program. Uh, Here is a question from Ariana from our email inbox. Hello, Pastor Ron. My husband's mother-in-law made a comment that I couldn't give a response to because I couldn't back it up with Scripture. She said her mother is resting in the grave until resurrection. Do we rest in the grave until the resurrection, or do our souls immediately go to heaven to await the resurrection? And then do certain denominations have different beliefs? If so, where do they get that in the Bible? Thank you, um, kindly, Ariana. Ariana, um, your mother is not right, um, or your husband's mother-in-law uh, isn't right. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. But to be present with the Lord, or to be, I'm sorry, to be absent from the body, is to be present with the Lord. So there's there's no delay in us going in the presence of Jesus. Now, there are denominations, sometimes uh, they are very legalistic denominations. Uh, there are some cults that believe in soul sleep. And, uh, you know, we get this in uh, all the time. People say, well, at least he's at rest now, or there's no more suffering now. Uh, the truth is, apart from Jesus Christ, everybody's suffering instantly. Luke chapter 16, which I'll be starting in um, a week from this coming Sunday, um, is a story about a rich man and Lazarus um, who instantly went into the presence of, in Lazarus's case, not, not Lazarus of Bethany, but poor Lazarus, the beggar, uh, he went into paradise. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, you'll be with me in paradise. Um, But the rich man was in eternal torment. So there's no delay at all, instantly. I always like to think of it this way, Um, Ariana. I like to think of it as one minute we're here on earth, Sometimes, most often, as we're dying, suffering, outwardly, Paul says, we're wasting away. The next minute, we're in the presence of glory. One minute, it's all we can do to breathe and get air. The next minute, we don't even need air. So that's a wonderful, wonderful promise to us. There is no uh, time delay. There's no soul sleep. There's certainly no purgatory. Uh, All we have to do, Ariana, is have confidence that this is what the Bible teaches, that we do not rest in the grave until the resurrection. Now, I'm going to confuse you a little bit, Ariana, so if this is too weird sounding to you, just kind of ignore it. Uh, This is certainly not something that's essential, but it's my opinion, and that's all it is. I can't prove it by scripture. It makes sense, but it's my opinion that because there's no time in heaven, I believe that the minute, and I'll use me as an example, the minute I die, this body gives out. Then I'm in my new glorified resurrected body instantly in the presence of the Lord. And I'll carry that body built for eternity for eternity. So the resurrection, I think it's explained in our new Testament. Then those who are uh, alive will be caught up in the air to, to to greet them. It's, it's not, I, I think a literal, okay, they go first, they get the resurrected bodies. Their, their bodies are reconstructed somehow. I believe with all my heart that the minute we get our last breath here on earth, then these old bodies mean absolutely nothing. And we will be in our glorified, resurrected, physical bodies. A body we know is just like Jesus, except for the scars, the wounds. And so there's no time that intervenes. i got some other weird ideas, but I won't bother you with those, Ariana. Uh, But uh, no, our souls, and I think our bodies, immediately you're in heaven in the presence of the Lord. Good question. Thank you very, very much. Three four Let's go to Floresville and talk with Margaret. Margaret, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
2: Hi, Pastor Ron. Thank you for taking my call. I have a quick question. I've heard you mention the Thomas Chain Reference Bible, the 1984 version. I've seen some listed from 1983. Is that the same version?
3: Uh, no, Thompson Chain Reference, um, the the Thompson NIV. Chain Reference, yeah, the, the, that Bible uh, certainly goes back before 1984, but the NIV, um, certainly the, 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 the book was published in 1984, so uh, it might have had a publishing date late in 1983, but if you'll look very closely at the top, it'll say, um, the, the text being used is the uh, 1984 version of the NIV. If it's 1983, uh, that's something I've never even heard of before, Margaret.
2: Okay. I'm seeing it on eBay because it's, you can't find them anywhere else.
3: Yeah. So I would I, guess that that's a typo. It's, it, I'm saying you're probably looking at a 1984 um, Thompson chain reference NIV, and that would be great. I think it's certainly worth a a gamble, uh, but uh, boy, the Thompson Chain reference is my favorite Bible of all time.
2: Okay, well, then, that I will, since you said it's worth taking a chance on, I definitely will. And I also wanted to thank you for all of the media and all of the the Bible studies, and the verse-by-verse verse on your uh, app. I have told so many people about it, and I have used it in just day-to-day life. You've answered so many questions, so that when people say or talk to me about something, I feel confident that the answer that I give them is of God. And so oh. it just has really helped me a lot. So, Oh, Margaret,
3: thank you. you. You made my day.
2: But, I appreciate uh, it very, so- very much.
3: Thank you. Let me know uh, how you like the Bible when it gets there.
2: I will. One more thing. If you will pray for my son, uh, he's in a very bad way. And I'm the one with the granddaughter.
3: Yep, I remember.
2: All right. If you could pray for him, he's in great danger.
3: Okay, I'll do it, Margaret. Thank you. Oh, Lord will help me always remember those prayers. You know uh, let me let me just say something uh, in in response to Margaret uh, thanking me for the content on our website. There's a lot of stuff there and and uh, I'm amazed i'm I'm really amazed. Uh, I remember a few years ago, and I don't know how many years ago I lose track of time when you get to be old that just happens. but um, i I remember uh, one of the guys coming saying, "You know what we've we got to put your notes on on our website, put them online." And I said, because I've got all my notes i've got my commentaries that I've written myself um, for for nearly now all the books in the bible and and I said, Who in the world would want my notes to me, it was the strangest, most foreign idea ever, and I just said, No, nobody would want my notes and he actually said, You know we get asked by people from time to time. we put them on there, and the amount of of play they get is unbelievable to me. It's just unbelievable. And I always sort of laugh at the Lord. You know, I've gone through my times over the years of complaining, Jesus, we don't have a big enough building. Everybody has a building. We don't have a building. and We need more space. And, you know, we can't grow. We can't do this. And it's just Jesus kind of figuratively slaps me and says, oh, stop whining. You're doing fine. But, you know, he, he's, he's kept us. We've planted uh, this year, we're planning two more churches, which will be 31 churches that have come out of our church. Uh, not only that, uh, the amount of online activity that we get, the number of, of live stream, and then uh, subsequent views of our Bible studies, it's just unbelievable. It's going all over the world, and God can do it in a little tiny building in a strip mall in Universal City, Texas. So... um I had to really be pushed and prodded to put that stuff on there because I just thought, you know, that's arrogant to think anybody wants my notes. Um, and and yet God has really blessed people for them. So thank you, Margaret. I appreciate it very, very much. And thank you for your call. Thompson Ring, chain, Margaret, I hope you're listening. Thompson chain reference Bible, new international version, hardcover, September 1st, 1983. B.B. Kirkbride and Company. Uh, uh, so, so that's going to be uh, uh, an 84 version of the NIV. So uh, it's called the Kirkbride Bible Company, uh, and you will you'll be blessed. So good decision. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from, let me see where we are, Meredith. Um. Pastor Ron, what is the role of the church in terms of having church covenants for discipline? Does your church require members to sign a covenant? Meredith, let me ask. The answer the second part first. That's easy. Um, uh, we don't have membership. We sort of claim anybody that shows up more than once as a member, uh, a part of the body uh, but we don't have any kind of binding agreements. I mean, that's not our responsibility. That is absolute legalistic nonsense. Now I know there's pastors listening to this thing. Oh, no, it's important to have membership. Um, uh, you can't find it in the Bible. And somebody wrote me a nasty email uh, not long ago, and we had a question about membership and said, yes, it is in Corinthians, where it talks about the body and the hand and the eye and everybody. fitting." It. That's not what it's even comparable to the way we view church membership. The only church that's important you're a member of is the Church of Jesus Christ, the Church Universal. So if He's taking you, why wouldn't I? So we, we don't even have membership. We don't have people come to say, Do I have to go through classes? Do I have to sign anything? The answer is never, ever, ever. Just come, just get fed, just participate in the body. And grow in your faith. Uh, so we we don't have them sign any kind of covenant now. Obviously, you would expect then that my um, view of church covenants for discipline purposes uh, is is also um, not a view that that they're necessary in any shape or form at all. Now, I realize that there are a lot of churches. Reformed churches are doing this like crazy now, uh, especially the neo-Calvinists out there, uh, those who are sort of taking over the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, uh, the Nine Marks churches, um, uh, churches like uh, the Village Church uh, in Dallas, Matt Chandler, and others. They've actually been in the news uh, in not a good way Uh, because of, of some of the problems they've had with their church covenants. And a church covenant basically says, if you do this, then we are going to discipline you unless you do what we tell you to do. And Meredith, it's not our responsibility as a church. It's not my responsibility as a pastor to tell people what to do. My role is to teach them what to do. But the choice about what to do is between them and God. Now, church discipline, I think, is important. If somebody is living in willful sin, then we've got to um, confront them in love. And there are times, we've only had a couple of times in all of our years, but there are times when you have to ask people to leave the fellowship. We can't give them the, the, the security, the false security, of thinking that, oh, because the church is okay with me, This sin must be okay. And so when people don't respond to the correction from the word, a church covenant that I've had them sign isn't going to have any import at all. So no, we don't require people to sign. I don't think uh, it's the church's responsibility to to sign covenants with people. Uh, I think that is such an unreasonable view of how the body is to interact together. Yes, we hold one another accountable. And yes, we discipline those people who refuse to walk in righteousness. But to have them sign a contract, a covenant, that's what it is? I think some of these covenants, most of them, in fact, Meredith, uh, most of them are, are, uh, they require arbitration so that, that the church can't be sued. Uh, it's a legal contract, and and so uh, arbitration is required, and so, so there's just not much relief. It's it's just a silly idea to me. Uh, it's it's uh, draconian. I, I just don't understand the value. Let me say this, and then I'll move on, Meredith, because this you didn't ask for this. I think the reason for uh, church membership in these kind of covenants is to to, to tie people to a particular church. Uh, whether it's with their giving or with their service or, or uh, in fact, um, with the way they live their lives, I think it's giving the church way too much authority in somebody's life. So we do not require people to sign a covenant, nor do we have an official membership, Meredith, not at all. Thanks for the question. Uh, Les says, Pastor Ron, do you think all religions are true if pursued with sincerity? He says, I ask because there's so much division in the church. Les, let me say very clearly that if what I believe as a born-again Christian is not true, then anything can be true. But if what I believe as a born-again Christian is true, then anything and everything that contradicts what I believe is not true. And sincerity has never, ever been the measure of whether or not we're going to be in heaven. We can be sincere and sincerely wrong. I mean, the Pilots. The terrorists that flew those planes into the Twin Towers in 2001, they were sincere. They gave up their life. You can't be more sincere than that. But their religion isn't true just because they're sincere. And things are true or they're not true, and there's no in-between. And as born-again believers, we've got the Word of God, the absolute and final authority on matters of doctrine and faith and practice. And so, if somebody comes up and says, "Well, I believe sincerely with all of my heart that God is going to take everybody to heaven because God is a God of love," that's not true. The monsterly fall. If a Jew says, "Well, I believe because we're God's chosen people that we're going to go to heaven," and then I show them in the Word where Jesus said to the most religious Jew in Jerusalem that you must be born again. John chapter 3, Nicodemus. They have to decide what's really true. Both things can't be true. If a Catholic believes sincerely with all his or her heart that Mary was without sin and that Mary was a virgin for all of her life and they believe that getting to heaven is give it to them because they're a member of the true church. Well, I can demonstrate in the word how false that is. And no matter how sincere they are, less that Catholic is not going to go to heaven. Whether it's Buddhism, Islam, it doesn't matter. It can't be true. If what we believe as Christians is true. And if what we believe as Christians is not true, then everybody's lost. Because we declare that only in Christ is found the forgiveness of sins. Only God can forgive sins. That means Jesus was God. So don't worry about the division. Paul talks about division. Some division is necessary to validate he or she who speaks the truth. To to, to authorize the real message. We don't want to shout at people. We don't want to be in silly arguments. But doctrine matters less. It matters a great deal. And I can tell you this. I am 100% convinced that everybody who is living without Jesus Christ is on their way to an eternity in hell. And it's my responsibility to do anything and everything that I can to share this glorious Gospel, this good news that we've been given. So lines been drawn in the sand spiritually, thus Jesus threw it, by the way. He's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. Well you can hear the music. That means we have thirty minutes left in our Tuesday program, Three four zero ninety five eighty five or eight seven seven six three zero KSLR we'll be back in two minutes
1: back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh.
3: Welcome back to the show. We have 30 minutes left. We love your live calls and questions. Here's our first question for this app from Reggie. Pastor Ron, do you believe the bread and the wine become literal in the sense that they are the body and the blood of Jesus. Reggie, I do not. I very, 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 very strongly do not. Um, I, I I loathe tradition uh, when it's not based in Scripture. And um, those Christians, those churches or denominations that believe that there's something magical that happens, that the body um the, the wafer is the body becomes the body uh there's divergent views on whether it is or becomes uh and that the wine is 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 really the blood of jesus um but all of those beliefs are based in nothing but tradition the tradition of men there's nothing in the bible that even comes close to suggesting now when Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples, and um we've got time now that elapses between the, the bread and the and the cup later. Um at this dinner we call it the Last Supper, uh Jesus picks up the bread, he breaks it and he says, Take and eat, this is my body. Now imagine Jesus breaking it in two pieces, sending one to his right and one to his left from everybody as they would um have the bread come to them, they'd tear off a little piece and pass it to the next person. Um, Jesus was still in his body when he said that. It's impossible for him to admit that this is my body as they took it. Now, if they couldn't take it as literal, what makes us think that it can be taken literally? Jesus was in effect, Reggie, saying, this is my body, it's going to be broken for you. Fulfillment of the suffering servant passages in, in uh, notably, Isaiah. Um, so it, it, it's not literally, cannot literally be, nor was it ever intended to be. Jesus said, uh, as often as you do this, remember, do this in remembrance. That's a memorial service. That's all it is. So it is not the body nor the blood of Jesus, it is symbolic of both. And the objection for people who are literalists and say, well, it is the body, it is the blood, or it becomes the body, it becomes the blood, is, well, then communion doesn't matter. Yes, it matters a great deal. Jesus said to do it, the disciples uh, who who became apostles practice it in the book of Acts. It is also taught on in the epistles, that's how we determine what a sacrament is. We only have two of them in in the New Testament church, baptism and communion, and that's how we establish those things that become practices. And for anybody to say, well, if it's not really his body, then it doesn't mean as much, doesn't understand the depth of what God has done for them. It almost makes me cry, Reggie, I'm sorry. Um to feel like you need to get a goosebump to take the cup or the cracker or the wafer. And all we can do it is to imagine that they're real. It's His body. We have such intimacy with God. Christ in us, the hope of glory. We don't need to manufacture emotions. And anything, again... Traditions that agree with the Word of God, there's nothing wrong with tradition. But traditions that are outside the authority of the Word of God actually do harm. I actually know Christians who, and the people I know are Lutherans, who believe that they don't have to really do anything to serve God because Jesus paid it all. And their security is the fact that They partake of the literal body, the literal blood of Jesus at a close communion every week. Yes, Jesus is with me. We do the communion every week, and they do. So, Reggie, these are memorials to Jesus, symbolizing what he's done. 340-9585, let's go to the phone's and talk with James from Seguin. James, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
4: Yeah, hi, Pastor Paul. Um, I'm doing plumbing underneath the house, so my hands are kind of dirty. I really didn't want to look (laughs) it up specifically, but um, listening to some of the conversation uh, that's going on, um, I was just curious. I'm thinking about Romans 14.1, and kind of the, the way that I think I always understood that It was saying that we needed to be patient with some of our fellow Christians recognizing where their maturity levels may or may not be, uh, and not really to dispute over some things. Um, In reference to that, what what are some of the things that you would hold stronger to, uh, and what sort of things would you be less inclined to? to make a deeper discussion of uh, I'm thinking of things like uh, that Jesus Christ is the son of God that he uh, that he lived he died and he rose again I mean those are some things that we really have to hold strong to uh, mm-hmm. but what are some others that you might think of right off the top of your head
3: Okay. And thanks, by the way, I'm under James, the house, so
4: I'll just listen to it on
3: the radio. <laughs> Thank you, James. You hard worker. Paula looks at people who work really hard, and um, you know she says, "If somebody's really dirty, boy, that guy worked hard today, or that guy had fun today, kind of thing." Uh, James, we have to understand the context of Romans 14, uh, and we, we we need also to remember that there's no verse and chapter divisions uh, in the inspired manuscripts. This is just one continuous letter, so. From from the the previous chapter, we're looking at um, um, people passing judgment on others uh, for eating meat. Um, uh, those kind of things, um, you know. The, the whole idea in the ancient world uh, is that that the best meat that was available, the cheapest meat as well that was available, was meat that had been sold in what we would today, modern day meat market, uh, that had been offered in sacrifice to to idols. And so um, the, the, the whole idea there is, you know, let's make important things important. Now, when verse 1 of chapter 14 uh, identifies undisputable matters, I want to be really clear on this, um, James, th- there's, there's absolute essentials of our historic Christian faith. Um, the the divinity of of Jesus the sinless of Jesus the virgin birth of Jesus um, the 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 revelation of God one God in three persons um, those are essentials those are not disputable matters but this whole part of Romans is about those things that are not uh, essential doctrines. Um, the, we might say today the gift of tongues. Somebody can say, "Well, I believe in tongues." Somebody says, "I don't believe in." Well, don't argue about it. Don't pass judgment on somebody. Um, uh, a lot of people are told in churches if they're not, if they're not, if they don't speak in tongues, they're not filled with the Spirit. That's passing judgment on a disputable matter, and it's also wrong. Uh, but there are other behaviors that that we can bring this into a real current uh, conversation, James. Um, in the church, there are people that smoke, and you know when when we came to Texas, uh, we were shocked to see people smoking uh, in a church parking lot or smoking on their way to church. Now we didn't judge them. We know that it's not a sin, but there are people say that if you smoke cigarettes, then then uh, uh, you you can't be a real Christian. Drinking is the same way. Uh, somebody has a, an occasional beer. There are Christians that will point a finger at them and and say, oh, no, you're, uh, you you know, you you must not really be saved. Uh, Eating meat, there are people that insist Jesus would be a vegetarian, so we have to be vegetarians. Those are disputable matters. And what he's saying is don't argue over those kinds of things. Uh, In in, uh, the the South, the, the Southern Baptist Church for years, Uh, the idea of Christians dancing was anathema. And so that would be the kind of practical behavior that Paul is dealing with in Romans chapter 13 and 14. So uh, he says in the rest of the chapter 14, um, one man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. And the man who does not eat everything. Must not condemn the man who does. For God has accepted him. And then he says, "Here's the kind of the coup de grace here. Who are you to judge someone else's servant to his own master? He stands or falls. So disputable matters are what's in view here, and we're not to judge somebody. If somebody wants to worship on the original Jewish Sabbath, we 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 don't judge his salvation or her salvation. We simply say, okay." Have at it. The the, the Christian that's legalist, the, the, the woman who wears makeup, or there's a lot of judging going on about how certain women dress in the church. Those are the kinds of things that Paul is telling us that we're not to dispute. But the essentials, as you pointed out, are things that we, that line is drawn in the sand, and we've got to be on the line with Jesus. So, James, thank you, and work hard, but work safe. Good question. I like those kind of questions. Mike says, Pastor, what would you say to a homosexual who believes in Jesus and says he knows he is going to heaven? Mike, it's interesting timing for the question because uh, I I know uh, men uh, and women who are described by your question. No, I'm a Christian. God loves me the way I am. And the only thing you can say to them is what I say to them. Well, you're mistaken. The word of God says, if you live like this, you will not not inherit the kingdom of God. And I always ask them, okay, how would you interpret that? If it says that you're living a sexually immoral life. No, I would normally talk about heterosexual sex. Because I don't want somebody to only hear that, that he condemns homosexuals. So what I will usually say is that there's somebody in my church and they're not married and they're having sex and they don't care what the Bible says. They just keep having sex because that's what makes them feel good. And I tell them that they're not going to heaven. Do you believe that I'm wrong? And they have to answer. They've got to come. It, it, it gives us an opportunity to share. So, Mike, I tell them that you're wrong Tell them your authority is the word of God. And um, tell them that you love them, you'll be praying for them. But there's times when you've got to tell people, instead of discussing it with them or arguing with them, there's times, Mike, when you just got to say, "What you know what, that's not right, you're wrong. And then let the Holy Spirit have his way, his opening, to sort of deal with the lies that they've accepted as truth. 3409585, 3409585, Helen asks an interesting question. Uh, what can the church do to focus on diversity? Um, Helen, I, I'm not exactly sure what the context of your question is, but let me be really clear here. I don't think we should do anything to focus on diversity. Bible says that God adds daily to the church, such as those who are being saved. Paul and I were just having this discussion, not about this question, but we're, we're, we're having this discussion a couple of days ago. And um, uh, I said to her, do you remember when we'd look around at our church and we'd see um, not too many older people, but we'd see some younger people. Uh, we'd see a lot of Hispanics because of the city we live in. We'd see a lot of white people. And because of the military, we'd see some Asians. But remember our hearts, how how broken our hearts were because we didn't see um, African Americans. And and because so many historically black churches are such false teaching churches, my heart was just ripped open because I felt there was a, a whole segment of our culture that was getting ripped off. And, and we kind of giggled to, to one another because now it's just not true. Our church it has such diversity, and we've never thought one minute about how can we be more diverse. So here's what we do. We open the Bible, we teach it, God blesses it, and then he brings people that he can trust us with. Helen, that's really important. I feel like every person that walks into this church it's God saying, here, Ron, I can trust you with him, or I can trust you with her. And he knows I'm going to teach the truth, he knows that, that I'm going to be diligent and study, and he can trust me, he knows that they're going to be loved. And I think in every church when the, where the Bible is being taught, where the people are being loved, where Jesus Christ is exalted, I think in every church like that, there will be no problem. With diversity, our church, Helen, is uh, you. I used to say it's a perfect picture of our city. Now it's it's a little bit different. We we we're still probably sixty percent Hispanic, um, but um, African American um, population of our church is probably now twenty percent, um, maybe a little bit more than that. Um, obviously, we have a a, a large uh, Anglo community in our church. Uh, but we also have a a, a a big Asian representation in our church. And you look around, except for we have more blacks as a percent than our city does. Except for that, we look just like the city. It's also true, Helen, that as our church has aged, the people like me who are now old, we've grown old together and they've stayed here. well, the younger people keep coming in. So our church, in terms of diversity of age, um, we've got uh, baby boomers like me, and we've got millennials right. um, and everybody in between. Um, and and we, we've got people from um, wealthy backgrounds. We've got people uh, who are dirt poor, like me. And so it's just one of those things. Helen, that that I don't think the church has to do anything. If we really trust and believe in the Word of God, we open our Bibles, we teach it, we prepare or equip our people for the work of ministry. Remember, the large part of that work is evangelism. We equip them to, to know how to use their gifts. Then the people in this church are going to go out and bring others Some just like them, some different, but they're going to bring others and they're going to share Jesus. And that's when the body is really dynamic. In our years here, Helen, and we've been here, this is 24, we've started our 25th year. We have not spent one dime, nor have we spent one minute in a meeting trying to figure out how to make our church grow, or how to appeal to different groups, or attract people with more money. We've not We've never had even a minute's discussion about those things. Because as we do our part, God does his part, and his part is to add daily to the church, such as our being saved. I just thought, you know, we're going to have a baptism August the 4th, is that the right Thank you. August the 4th. And uh, it's a great time. We always have hundreds and hundreds of people out there. Um, I, I honestly... Uh, don't know how many people are getting baptized, but it seems like I'm in the water for a couple hours every year. Uh, But August the 4th, after our third service, usually we get started eating about 4 o'clock. It's in Spring Branch, out 281. Uh, We'll be giving more information as we get a little bit closer to the date. But if you haven't been baptized and you would like to publicly profess your faith in Jesus Christ, uh, come on out and join us. Don't worry about being a stranger You'll only be a stranger for a moment. There's food that will be there in a plenty for you. So um, come and join us. We'd love to have you. uh, Again, more information will be forthcoming as we get a little bit closer to the gate or to the date. I'm sorry. Anonymous writes, is having same sex attraction a sin? Um, No, Anonymous, it's not. No, I realize it's a burden, but having same sex attraction is not a sin. Uh, acting on it, well, that's a sin. It's like somebody who says, well, I have these terrible thoughts. I said, do you act on the thoughts? No, but I keep having them. Having the thoughts not a sin. There's an enemy who does these things. And the truth is, Anonymous, we live in a fallen world, and, and lots of things get messed up in our brains, uh, in our hearts. Our our emotions get involved. We get inundated in this world with with uh, we must accept it. Um um, your job as a as a Christian is to say no to you so you can say yes to Jesus. It's that simple. Now, take every thought captive, make them obedient to Christ. That means if you see a man, you don't see if this is a you're man or a woman, but, but if you see somebody the same sex as you, same gender as you, and you're attracted to them, then you've got to take that thought captive and make it obedient. Every day, somebody who is attracted to the same sex is someone who has to fight, fight every day to please the Lord. And you do that simply by saying, Jesus, my flesh wants to do this, but the real me, the spirit in me, wants to please you. And it comes down many times, Anonymous, to a simple choice. Do I value flesh? or do I value eternity more? Satisfying the flesh, if that's what I value more than anything else, I'm going to give in. If being with Jesus is what I value, then I'm going to do this to please him. And whether it's same-sex or heterosexual sex, unless you're married, we are commanded to be celibate. And we simply don't take that not a suggestion. It's a command. We don't take that command seriously enough. And sexual sin is very selfish. We do it for us. We deprive the person that we're having sex with. We defile them as well as defiling our own bodies. And we've just got a decision to make. Are we going to please God or are we going to please us? And that one question is true no matter what your temptations are, no matter what your sin is involved in. Every day we have a decision to make. Who am I living for today? Am I living for me or living for Jesus? Every one of us anonymous who calls Jesus Lord has already made that commitment. I'm living for you today, Jesus. And when we decide we're going to live for us instead, well, that's when the Holy Spirit goes to work. So, the attraction itself is not a sin. Acting on it is. Be active in a church. Surround yourself with people. We have uh, a, a, a large number of people in our church who, before being saved, have come out of homosexual lifestyles. You know, God doesn't, you know, coming to Jesus doesn't mean He's going to just automatically change your attraction. The idea that we can convert people, conversion therapy is going to work, is nonsensical. But what we can do is equip them. We can equip them to please the Lord. Last question today, Anonymous again from our mobile app. Just sent in. Are you familiar with the Summit Christian Center on Marshall Road? If so... Do you know if it is a solid church to attend? Uh, You know, I don't like saying these kind of things, but um, uh, this first time I've ever been asked about this church, uh, I am familiar with it. It's uh, Rick Godwin is the pastor. Uh, It is not a solid church. It is a church with extreme heretical, eschatological beliefs, beliefs that make no sense at all. Uh, But but the biggest problem with it is its foundation is prosperity and faith and shouting at demons, and it's just a crazy charismatic church, and I can't recommend it at all. Um, I can say this. I wish I had their building. It is magnificent. I actually went over and looked at it when they were building it. Uh, It is magnificent, and um, you know what I'd love to see more than anything else is uh, Pastor Rick over there. Uh, repent of false teaching, and um, and and really serve Lord. I think he's a great communicator. I've listened to him enough uh, to believe that God's really gifted him. I'm convinced he is a believer, um, and I would really give a lot if I knew that he would stand before Jesus and Jesus would say, "Well done." And the only way that's going to happen is if he repents of his false teaching, and he's been approached by people. Hey, thanks for tuning into the program today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630. The Word. Pray for us. I'll pray for you. We'll see you tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630. See you then. Bye-bye.
1: Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh.